seats. That's why we have announcements to give you plenty of time to find your seats. But uh, it's good to see you all here and pray that the Lord would uh, dispense his grace to us as we meet this morning. If you're joining us via live stream, we're glad to have you with us as well. Uh, very quick, I'll give you some announcements. August 28th, which is a Sunday, uh, we will have our congregational meeting. And there are no, no motions uh, to, to vote on, so uh, it should be a pretty straightforward meeting and reviewing our, our finances and how we're doing thus far, and also to uh, potentially vote in some new members, and also as a time of encouragement as well, using that time just to uh, encourage one another. Uh, so between now and then, uh, if you remember, just think about uh, who is somebody that has been helpful to you in the past month or a couple months or a few months, and who has been uh, maybe somebody who's prayed a lot for you. It's just something that you find encouraging about another person. Uh, in the church, and just using it as a time just to publicly encourage one another in that way. Uh, secondly, is that uh, so many of you know uh, Reshma, that we have, she's, we supported her for the past couple of years as she's been pursuing seminary education next year, mid next year. She will be going off to, to missions, and she will be in town uh, for a very, very brief uh, period of time. Uh, so, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday at our house from 6 to 7 30 p.m. Uh, everybody is is invited to come for some ice cream, and it'll just be a good time just to catch up with Reshma, or if you haven't met her, it's a good opportunity to do that as well. So feel free to come for the entire time or just a part of the time. Again, our house, 6 to 7.30. And uh, lastly, some really, really good news that has already, I think, been spreading very quickly, and that is that the, the Rollins have had their, their baby boy, um, seven pounds, something ounces, uh, and his name is Levi. So we'll spend some time uh, praying uh, for them later in the service. So uh, those are all the, all the announcements I have. Uh, we don't have, I don't think, most people have issues trying to fill up their days with stuff to do, whether it's profitable things or things that are not profitable. Uh, some of you keep a pretty, uh, pretty long list of to-do lists so you know exactly what to do with each day. But I do want you to know that uh, one of the most important things that you can do this week is, is be here, uh, to be encouraged through and equipped through the Word of God, uh, to draw near to the Lord as He draws near to us uh, through prayer, as we are encouraged to, to sing of, of the gospel and of who Christ is through songs. And so let us come near to the Lord this morning. Uh, this day uh, is important to us in ways that you may not immediately recognize, but the Lord is using it and will use it to equip us and encourage us throughout the week, and as we come, Lord willing, to next week to be encouraged all over again. So let's go to the Lord this morning. Let's worship Him through song. Amen. Church, let's stand and do just that and worship. Here we go. So we pray, 
Christ, in Christ alone, for that is all we need. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for 
for the ultimate and perfect sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for the sins of the world, for those who believe, for your people, Father. God, we thank you for your work. We thank you, Father, that we, although are unfaithful and are undeserving, you graciously poured and provided mercy upon us, Lord, and your grace through Jesus Christ. Father, may we be encouraged in this promise, in this truth, Lord. May we now also, Lord, be encouraged in your word. Lead us now, Father, into your scriptures. And to be edified, Father, for our souls to be edified. God, I thank you for this time of worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And at this time, we'll also be dismissing our children uh, to their classroom. Amen. Man, let me read to us from Psalm 90, verse 10 to 17. And then we'll, we'll pray. Again, Psalm 90, verse 10, says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Lord, it is beyond our comprehension to know how mysteriously you work in our lives from the biggest events to the most minute details. Lord, and Certainly we have our seasons where life is incredibly challenging, and it takes all of our effort just to be able to persevere. There are some days when it just feels like all we can do is just survive, and that's all we have in us. Lord, but we know from the testimony of the scriptures that in good and in bad, that you, our Heavenly Father, are always good, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are faithful, 
and that you promise to never leave or forsake your people. We thank you, Lord, that even in the hardest of days, that you remain with us. And that you provide exactly what we need during the times of suffering and affliction. God, so we just want to thank you for your incredible faithfulness towards us. We thank you for how wise you are and even using the the seasons that are most difficult for our good and to strengthen us in our faith so that we might see you more clearly. Lord, in our lives, our brief, There's no one here who knows exactly how much time they have left. And what we see from this passage is that there is this connection or this relationship between understanding the brevity of our lives and and wisdom that we can grow wiser as we continue to consider how brief our lives are in this world And God, we just want to come before you and we, Lord, we just confess that we certainly don't use our time profitably, not always, that we're not always as wise as we should be, that we're not always careful to apply what your scriptures command us to apply. Sometimes we pretend that that we have all the time in the world which sometimes leads us to foolish decisions and foolish living. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us, that you would graciously forgive us of our sins, forgive us for the ways that we have not made the best use of the time that you have given to us. Forgive us for the ways that we pursue things of the world instead of using the time to continue to pursue Christ in the kingdom. Father, but we are thankful that you are a God of great mercy and a God of great grace, that your grace never runs out, but it always abounds to those who come in the confession of their sins and seek forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for being such a merciful and gracious God to your people. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to number our days so that we may grow a heart of wisdom, so we might know how to use the time that you have given to us in a way that brings honor and glory to you, in a way that is good for others. Help us, Lord, to walk in wisdom. We pray, Father, that you would satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love and that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Lord, we pray that you make us glad for as many as the days that we have experienced affliction, even affliction by your own hands for our good. We pray that the work, that your work be shown to your people, and that your glorious power will be made manifest to our children. 
we pray that your favor would be upon us, and we pray that you would graciously establish the work of our hands. Father, we pray this morning for the Rollins, Lord, and we just rejoice, God. Lord, after so many years of hardship and and trying and receiving just bad news and negative answers, God, we thank you that they finally have their child. Lord, we're thankful for those who have walked with them and have helped carry their burden and their suffering, and that now your people can rejoice with them. We thank you, God, because you are the God who is the author of life, the one who opens and closes wombs. And we thank you, God, for being so faithful and answering the desires of their heart. And we pray, Father, that you would give them all the energy and strength that they need for the coming weeks. In their restlessness, Lord, in their sleeplessness, God, give them your grace. Teach them to communicate well, Lord, with one another. Father, we pray that you would care for for Levi, for Sarah. Lord, help them to recover. We pray that you would help him to, to grow and mature, to meet those milestones. And we do pray for, for Eric, Lord. We pray that he would be just a, the pillar of his home that his family can lean on, that you would strengthen him and encourage him as a husband and now as a father. Lord, we pray for, for Dan and Jane, who are only days from their wedding. God, as they look forward to that day, would you give them just the grace and patience, Lord, as they finalize just all the details and just the rush of this week. Father, we pray that your wisdom would be upon them. Lord, bless their efforts. We pray, God, for a a sweet and memorable ceremony. That it would be honoring to you, honoring to the gospel of Christ, that it might be a witness to those who don't know Jesus. But all in all, Lord, we pray that it would be just a momentous occasion where we would be able to rejoice in their marriage, in their celebration. Lord, and we pray that their life together would be a powerful and vivid display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning we also pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are persecuted for their faith in the Lord Jesus. God, we pray that fear may not rule over their lives. God, would you encourage them? Would you strengthen them, Lord? God, would you protect them? Father, we pray that they would be reminded of the words in Isaiah 41, who encourages them and says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
And God, we pray that say, they'll say those very words upon their lives, Lord. Help them. Uphold them with your righteous right hand. Father, we pray for we pray for a great salvation, Lord, in New England. God, we pray that your word, that your gospel would continue to be preached and proclaimed. Your word tells us that now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Father, we pray that you would make it so that many upon many would make the wise decision to entrust their lives to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we pray for our country and the economic distress and just in that distress that leads into distress in many other in other many other areas and certainly affects so many different lives. God, we pray for stability. We pray for peace. We pray, God, that you would use those and power to do what is right and good for all men. God, but even in these unstable and tumultuous times, that people may come to a deep realization of how that they may come to realize that the gods that they worship are not able to save whether it's the gods of power, whether it's the gods of government, whether it's the gods of those who are leaders with the gods of money, and they might realize that these are gods without hands and feet, without mouths, without ears, without eyes. That they might be driven to seek one who can provide a stability in our times, that they might be driven to the God who is Savior Jesus Christ. And lastly, Lord, we pray for those in our church whose work requires them to be physically laborious. God, would you give them rest so that they might meet the demands, the physical demands of their work. And we, got, we, we pray, God, that you would also protect them physically so they may continue to provide for their home. And we ask that you would cause the work of their hands to prosper and give them favor with those that they work with. Father, we are so thankful for the ways that you continue to work in our lives, and we are thankful for all the ways that you are going, for all the things that you are going to do. And Lord, we also join our hearts as we pray also the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray in the scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Man, if you would, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, reading verses 15 and 16. While, turning, while you're turning there, let me just mention very briefly 
that next week we'll have a guest preacher. I'll still be here. And uh, he'll be taking us through a, a chapter in the Psalms. And haven't quite decided if we'll return to the Psalms or if we'll go back to Ecclesiastes or do something else. So pray for me. But see what the Lord decides. But today, Ephesians 5.15, talking about the stewardship of time. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. God, we pray and ask that you would take the brief time we have together and that you would cause it to bear fruit. Lord, especially for those who may not know you as their Savior, that you would cause your word this morning to bear fruit unto their lives, unto eternal life. Lord, we pray that you would take your word, help us to humbly receive it, and help us with zeal to apply it by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A great evil has returned, and it seeks an object through which it could conquer the world. And the burden of destroying this powerful object has fallen into the hands of the most unlikely hero, Frodo, desirous of the Shire, desirous of living a peaceful and quiet and unadventurous life, says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. Gandalf says, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Indeed, nobody can choose the time in which they're born, but it is up to us to decide what we are to do with the time that is given us. Someone else probably said similar to words, similar words as Frodo in her time, biblical character, historical character. Esther found herself with a decision to make of whether or not to stay silent or to speak up and risk her life. To potentially save her people. And Mordecai, sort of in a Gandalf-like way, says to her, Who knows whether or not you have come to such a kingdom for such a time as this? Thankfully, most of us have never and may never come to crossroads like what Esther experienced. Nevertheless, as a Christian, you were born in a time over which you had no control over, as a Christian, you received the power of the gospel through faith in Jesus Christ, been born into the kingdom of God at a time at which you had no control over. And what is left to you, whether you are younger or older, no matter how long you've been living as a Christian, what is up to you is how to use the time that's been given to you. Ephesians calls us to make the most of the time or to redeem the time. And as Christians, we should want to use the time as profitably as we can and should. 
to the glory of God. And so what does it look like to redeem the time? What, is it, what does this kind of life look like that aims to make the best use of the time? Are some of the questions that I hope to answer this morning. But before we get there, you have to know that not all people are able to make the best use of the time, which brings me first to man's inability to redeem the time. Earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 5, verse 3, we have a description of a walk that is characterized by darkness. It tells us, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Earlier in Ephesians, it tells us to not walk as Gentiles, that is, as unbelieving Gentiles, in the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. But instead, we are called to walk in the light, because now we are fellow heirs. In other words, children, that is, children of God. We're called to walk differently because we are partakers of the promises of God, that they are ours, they belong to us, and that we are also members of the body of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we must walk differently. In Ephesians very clearly shows this contrast between light and darkness. They're easily distinguishable. And Ephesians 5, 3, in those passages that I just read, tells us the walk of darkness. That those who walk in darkness, it consists of sexual immorality. That is, fornication. According to 1 Corinthians, these are sins against the body. And they're heinous for a number of reasons, but primarily they are heinous because... The body for the Christian is considered to be a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Impurity also characterizes the walk of darkness. In the Old Testament, impurity meant more ceremonially. So if you had a particular disease or if you had touched a carcass or a corpse, you were considered unclean and therefore you were unfit to go before the presence of God for worship and you had to go through a certain rituals to, in order to be cleansed. In the New Testament, this has taken more of a moral sense. So it speaks to those who are morally unfit to come before the presence of God and the standard of measure that determines whether or not we are fit before the presence of God is God's holiness. And whether or not a person wears the holiness of Christ through faith in Christ. Another characteristic of this walk is covetousness. 
or avarice, greed, which it says in the passage is a form of idolatry. This is anything that becomes the object of your greatest desires. Whatever it is that you desire most, it has, if, it has, if it's not the Lord, if the Lord is not the center of your heart and life, then whatever it is that you desire to become the center of your life, or whatever is that object that becomes the center of your life, is a form of idolatry, worshiping a false god. And then we get from these, what might be considered more heinous sins, to these sins of speech. It says filthiness. And this also speaks to one's speech. This is shameful or disgraceful speech. It is a kind of speech without restraint. It is a kind of speech without a moral compass. It's about being honorable in your language. Right? There was a time and place where men might not swear in front of women. Right? So in that sense, there was a sort of a moral compass there that restrained one's speech. But now, right, anywhere you go, people cuss. All the time, whether it's men, whether it's women, whether it's children, whether it's sweet old grandma. There's speech without any moral compass. There's foolish talk as well that characterizes this walk of darkness. It's like salt that has lost its flavor. It's good for nothing. It has no value. It is distasteful language. So think of it this way. If somehow, let's just pretend somehow people could digest your words. If every word you spoke was able to be digested, how would they be digested by the other person? Would they be sweet? Would they be delightful? Would they be nutritious? Or would your words cause someone to gag? Or cause them to have a stomachache? Or would they taste bitter? And then there's also crude joking or jesting. This is taking serious, very serious matters and making light of them. There are attempts to elicit laughs by crossing a line into impropriety. So it can be anything from foul language to sexual innuendos to rude or racist comments. So we have this piling on of sins and some that we would consider much more heinous or more horrible than others, all piled up together. And it tells us these sins or these things, it tells us in the passage, are the reasons why the wrath of God is coming. And it tells us that it's for these reasons that people do not inherit the kingdom of God. But what does this have to do with redeeming the time? Again, the passage says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Not that the day itself is evil because God creates everything good and everything every day is good because God created good, but it's that the days themselves are filled up with evil. But if we want to look carefully how we walk, we want to walk in wisdom. And we make the best use of the time. Ephesians 5, verses 3 to 10, tells us 
the kind of walk that is not characterized by wisdom. This is a not looking carefully at how one walks in consideration of the impending judgment and wrath of God on account of sin. Now, according to the Scriptures, the unbeliever is unable to redeem the time because it is impossible for him to do so, and they do not want to. You see, God has a very different way of seeing efficiency and productivity, right? The world says we have to account for every single minute of every single day, of every hour. You want to use it profitably, efficiently, make the best use of the time in that way. What am I producing? What am I doing? But it has no eternal value. It's not going to get you anywhere closer to the kingdom of heaven. So the unbeliever cannot redeem the time as God would see fit, not until the dynamite of the gospel destroys man's sin and darkness and unbelief. It tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were once, before Christ, before believing in Christ, were dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, sons of disobedience, But then it says, but God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Once dead, but now alive through faith in Jesus Christ because of what Christ has done on the cross. And Colossians 1 also tells us that the power of the gospel, when it tells us that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So once dead, then made alive. Once belonged to the kingdom of darkness, but then transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And only then can we walk as children of light. When we properly belong to the right kingdom, when we belong to the kingdom of God and have been made alive in Jesus Christ. Only then can we actually make the best use of the time in a way that it eternally matters. Only then can we steward our time in a way that honors God. The Gospels, some of you are familiar with the parable of the talents, where a man gives certain talents to three different servants, and he calls them to use those talents, and use them profitably. Like the talent that these men received, so each and every one of us, whether believer or not, each of us have been given the talent of time. And the question is, how will we use that profitably? How can we use the talent of time and turn it into a prophet, something that we can return to the Lord, that we can return to the Lord more than what we received. But the unbelieving, as long as they continue, right? if you're here, if you're today, here today, you have not believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you're not believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter how efficient you are with your time. But it won't matter In the last day, when you stand before the judgment of God, there's nothing you can present before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's nothing you can present to them. You can't even present to them the talent of your time. 
Instead, what you can only present to God is a debt. And somebody has to pay the debt. And it's not going to be God. But you'll have to pay the debt for all of eternity. But the power, the glory of the gospel is that Christ Jesus came into the world and died on the cross so that those who believe in him can have their debt paid. So they can be forgiven of their sins. So they can be declared innocent. So that they can be justified and receive eternal life. And only then can you use the time that you have in a way that is profitable to the glory of God. So as Christians, that's what we want to do. That's what we desire to do. And so how exactly do we do this? Which takes us secondly to the walk of the Christian. Ephesians talks a lot about walking in many other places in the scriptures as well. It essentially just means the character of one's life. How do you live your life? And one of the things that we see that we can learn about walking in wisdom and making the best use of the time is that we are called to walk in the light. So if you want to walk wisely, walk in the light. Verse 7 of chapter 5, it says, Therefore not become partners with them that is the unbeliever in their sin. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. I said earlier, Ephesians makes a pretty clear contrast between those who are in light and those who are in darkness, right? They're easily distinguishable. Just turn on a light in a dark room and you can immediately see the light. Light and darkness do not mix. It's one or the other. And so there's the same idea in our walking as Christians is walking wisely and walking in the light that our lives should be easily distinguishable from the life of an unbeliever. That we bear fruit of the light, which is essentially the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, it tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The person who walks in the light isn't shy or isn't timid about the Christ-like character. They're not like the groundhogs who hide in my shed at home. That immediately when you step outside, they immediately run for cover. No, but the Christian walks in the light 24 hours a day, seven days a week, isn't shy about it, doesn't try to hide it, doesn't run for cover. So if you want to walk wisely, walk in the light. Also walk in love. Chapter 5 of Ephesians verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're called to walk in love. This really, this, what this shows is an outward-oriented lifestyle where we not only love others in just our words, but also in our actions. Just what First John tells us to do. First John 3.18, Little children, let us not love in word, or talk, but in deed and in truth. All right, so if you love others, how do you show it? 
Philippians also tells us to not look only to the in, our own interests, but look to the interests of others. And immediately following that, it gives us the example of Jesus Christ, who certainly did not look just for his own interests, but looked to our interests as he came from heaven to the cross to die for the sins of his people. Just an outward-oriented lifestyle. This person is like a walking house of hospitality. That wherever they go and they meet people, they try to leave people a little bit better than they were before, even if it's just in a small way. The walk of a Christian consists of walking in love, walking in the light, and thirdly, walking in good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So two things that passage tells us, and we can spend an entire sermon just on this passage alone, but two things that God creates. God creates the new you through faith in Jesus Christ. God has recreated you through faith in Christ, and he creates the good works for you to walk in. Which also means, uh, this is kind of an aside, but it also means that if God prepares the good hand, the good works for us to walk in beforehand, we can also step aside and not walk in those good works, which would be wrong. I'll let you think more about that on your own. But the, what the gospel does is that the gospel gives us the proper shoes to walk in the good works that the Lord has given to us and prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Without the proper shoes, it's not possible. It'd be as foolish as trying to go hiking in sandals. Some of you here might have done that and probably regretted it. Some of us like to, do, to have to-do lists, right? You like to maybe the day before or even the morning before the day gets going, you like to have a to-do list. You know exactly what you need to do and what you need to accomplish for each day. Well, the New Testament is our to-do list. The New Testament tells us exactly what those good works are. It tells us what exactly we should be doing. We're called to walk in the light, walk in good works, and walk in love. Now, I want to bring us back to the passage in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. And just take a closer look at it and apply it a little bit more personally. So, third and last, redeeming the time applied. The passage says, look carefully then how you walk. Keep a close eye, in other words. Keep a careful observation on your life, not on what you do only, but also in your heart. Look at your life with a magnifying glass. And in this way, you will do your part in walking in wisdom and making the best use of the time. But let's also keep a proper balance of things as well, according to the scriptures. Right? We continue to work, but God also continues to work in and through us. The reason why you are here today, the reason why you are here today and you can 
confidently affirm that you are a Christian and have been born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ is because Jesus has kept you. It's because Jesus continues to work in your life. It's because Jesus continues to give you the strength to persevere as a Christian. Jesus himself says that no one can snatch his people out of his hand, that his will is to do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is that the Son not lose a single one of those that God has placed into his hands. And at the same time, we are also called to keep ourselves in the hands of Christ. In Jude, verse 20, it says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So keep yourselves. Keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that? By building yourself up in your most holy faith and also by praying. Two things that you are required to do if you want to keep yourself in the love of God. Hebrews 2 says, Pay careful attention to what you have heard, lest you drift away. Like a boat that isn't anchored or roped to a dock. If you don't keep careful attention to what you have heard in the scriptures, the danger is that you will gradually drift away. Indeed, almost never does it happen that somebody comes to apostasy or falling away or turn and completely reject the gospel overnight. What most oftentimes happens is that it happens gradually, over time, a little less prayer, a little less reading of the word, a little more sin. Small decisions today and even small tolerances of sin today can lead to disastrous consequences 10 years from now. C.S. Lewis wrote a fictional book, The Screwtape Letters, though I like to tell people that even in fiction there is truth. But he wrote this book, and it's about essentially two uh, letters between two demons, a senior demon and a lesser demon who's been given to this, part, this human being to try to entice him, tempt him, and his ultimate goal is to bring him to hell, to get him there. So it is these letters between a senior demon and imparting his knowledge and expertise upon this lesser demon. And in one of the letters, the senior demon writes, you will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters like yourself, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, that is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The road to hell is a gentle one. It's a slope. It's not just a diving off a cliff. Right? And if we are not careful, paying careful attention to our lives, 
and the gospel that we have heard, without our even knowing, we might be on a gentle slope that descends downward. And 5, 10, 20 years from now, we might find ourselves in a place we don't want to be. The question is, some, some people are just very meticulous, meticulous about their home or about organization, about their day. Right? Are you meticulous over your life? Are you meticulous in carefully observing your life and considering your life and considering the gospel? Do you read the word of God and use it as a mirror to show you what you are actually like? Do you ask yourself, when you read the scriptures in your own personal time, and hopefully you do that regularly, but when you read the scriptures, do you look to see if it, whether it's a New Testament letter, whether it is a, a narrative, is there a sin that, is, that I read of here in this passage that is evident in my own life that I need to repent of? Do you come on Sunday mornings? And do you listen to the word preach? And do you often think to yourself, this has nothing to do with me? Or this doesn't apply to me? Do you pray regularly, confessing your sins to the Lord, praying for forgiveness of your sins, and praying for the strength to continue in repentance? Do you ever ask the Lord to show you your sins? So we must carefully observe our lives. We must do so with a calm urgency. The fact that it says making the best use of the time, it's intended to show us that the time is brief, that there's a sense of urgency in making sure that we are making the best use of the time by living it wisely because of the impending judgment and wrath of God. Some of you have probably have heard of this, but it's a, a system by which people make decisions it's called the Eisenhower Matrix. We have four different quadrants. In one quadrant, you have the important, urgent. These are things that you should do as soon as possible. There's the important, but not urgent. So it is important, but I can schedule it for another time. And another quadrant is not important, or not urgent, urgent but not important, which means that I can delegate it to somebody else because it, I don't necessarily have to do it. And then the last quadrant is not important, not urgent, which means I can just eliminate it. This doesn't have to get done. And applying that, let's take a moment and apply that to our walk with the Lord, walking in wisdom, our personal holiness. How seriously do you take your personal holiness and walk with the Lord? Is it in the important, urgent? And this is, as a Christian, this is where we all should be. It is important. It is urgent. I want to be about it. I want to strive for it through faith in the Holy Spirit. Or do you find it in the important, not urgent? Yes, it's important to me because the scriptures tell me it is. All sins are sins against God, but you continue to sort of schedule it for later. Uh, tomorrow's another day. Next week's another week. In other words, continue to sort of procrastinate your holiness and continue to schedule it for later? Or might it be in the urgent but not important? There's a sense of urgency, like I have to do this. I have to be about this. But do you sort of delegate it elsewhere? 
Do you sort of take your personal holiness and walk with the Lord as something that only the Spirit does? Well, the reason why I continue to struggle with these sins and continue in this way is because God has not worked in me. It's because I haven't woke up one morning and found these sins totally obliterated in my life. Or perhaps you might push it on to somebody else. Well, the reason that I am the way I am is because these friends are not really keeping me accountable or my pastor isn't really keeping me accountable. In other words, there's no bearing of personal responsibility. Or lastly, is it in the not urgent, not important? And I have to be honest with you, that's where none of us, if you're, if you're a Christian, that's where you do not want to be. And if you are there, and you have been there for some time, I'm not saying this is the case, but I would, I would, I would wonder, have you actually been saved? If holiness and walking with the Lord doesn't matter all that much to you, and it hasn't mattered for a long time. Our aim should be in the top, right? Important, urgent, and I know that sometimes, right, it is impossible, we can't, and it's, it's just, we don't always fall in the right box, but are we making efforts to get there? we do this, we can do this also with a sense of calm, which is only possible through Jesus Christ, remembering that Jesus is the one who keeps us, that his promises are for us, that his promises are there for us to pray and to trust we can Go about our walk with the Lord with a calm urgency, knowing that Christ is also working in us, that the Spirit is also working in us as we are also working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it also causes us to take our personal walk with the Lord with a serious joy. Now, if you, last, if you want to redeem the time, you can not only do it by carefully observing your life and doing so with a calm urgency, but we must be about redeeming the time every day. God is not so much concerned with how you spend every minute of every day, but he's more concerned with how you will use the talent of time that he has given to you. How are you going to use it? Will it be honoring to him? Will you be able to return it to him one day, but return it to him with more than what you originally received? Well, certainly it is, there's wisdom and not letting time go by wastefully. But as we learn from the passage, the way that we can make the best use of the time is by walking in wisdom. And the great thing about the scriptures is that not only does the Lord give us this talent of time to use, but also through the scriptures, he also shows us exactly how to use the talent of time and use it in a way that is profitable. This passage really applies to every sphere of life. So for those of you who work, know first and foremost that you have a heavenly master in the heavens. It is ultimately for his joy and pleasure that you work. He's not only your father, 
He's not only your good God and Savior, but ultimately he's also your employer. And when you remember that your heavenly master is watching you in heaven and you strive to work diligently and faithfully for the pleasure of the good master, what you can withdraw from that is the patience that you need and require when working with others in the workplace. It gives you the strength to not retaliate when, say, people put on unfair burdens on you or treat you differently than others. It helps you to stay calm under pressure. If you're retired or at home full-time, what does it look like to make the best use of the time? Well, first, you need to remember that your purpose is to live, first and foremost, for the glory of God and in service of others. That is where your purpose comes from. Another way you can make the best use of the time is encourage those who are younger, you who are older, encourage younger women. For those of you who are men, you could be a sage to those of us who are younger. Don't think that you don't have anything to offer or anything to put on the table. No, you have years of life and wisdom and experience and maturity you have a lot to teach those of us who are younger. There's a lot we can learn from. You can save us from making a lot of mistakes out of ignorance. But just taking a moment to have a cup of coffee and getting to know another person. I like cold brews, by the way. Somebody turned me on to cold brews weeks ago, and wow, life changer. If you are a mom at home, I know that oftentimes it seems like all you're having, all you can do is just survive. That you have nothing left in you but to just get through the day, get to bedtime, and then everything will be all right. Sometimes you sort of wonder, is this doing anything? Is this producing anything? All you're pouring out, your time, energy, mind, heart, your life into your home and into raising your children, sometimes it feels like a fruitless endeavor. In the parable of the talents, where the man rebuked the one servant who didn't return anything, he said, you could have just at least put the talent into a bank so that at least it could have gone some interest. Sometimes all you can do as a parent or as a mom at home is sort of just put the money in the bank and just let it sit there and have some interest. And even then, it is still profitable. What you do day in and day out, it means something. You're pouring yourself out into the life of your children is a way that you are making the best use of your time. And not always do you see the immediate benefits or rewards of it, but the choices that you make today, Lord willing, 10 years from now, will produce wonderful fruit and results. So continue to strive in what you're doing. Continue to 
model for your children a Christ-like character. Pray fervently for your children. They might know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have more time than most others with your children. Take time to teach your children about Christ. If you're a student or child at home, the way that you can make the best use of the time is obey your parents or those in authority over you. Be of service to your family. Help them when you can and should, especially because they have and continue to sacrifice so much for you. If you're studying, consider your studies as a stewardship that God has given to you for his glory. And use your time also to maintain and have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And for all of us, for us to make the best use of the time, we should strive to excel in building up the church. It says in 1 Corinthians 14. We should strive to maintain peace and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, it tells us in the book of Hebrews. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that he is a worker for the church's joy, and I think we can apply that to ourselves as well. Let us work for one another's joy. And Galatians 6 says that we should bear one another's burdens. That is a good way to make use of the time that has been given to us. So how will you use the time that's been given to you? It's not a mystery to the Scriptures how we should be using that time. The Scriptures are pretty clear how we can use the time that has been given to us. And ultimately, it consists of loving God and loving others. So if we we strive to do those two things, we need not ever worry about not returning to the Lord a prophet on the talent of time that he has given to us. So by way of response, before we conclude one last song, we're going to take communion together. So if you haven't yet, you are free to, take, uh, to walk in the back, and you'll see these cups back there on the back table. The scriptures, I mean, they don't tell us how we should use every minute or every hour of every single day, but it is pretty clear on how we should use the time we have together when we come together as God's church. Throughout the scriptures, through teaching, through examples, we see that our time together should consist of the preaching of the word. It should consist of singing songs to the Lord in praise and worship. It should consist in prayer. It should consist of fellowship. And it should also consist of taking communion together. The bread and the cup represent for us what Christ Jesus has done for us on the cross. And Jesus, in the short life that he had on earth before his death, spent it ministering, serving, encouraging, teaching, providing, healing, and also dying. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was bruised and broken for the judgment that you and I deserve for our sins. 
and the cup represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ, shed for the remission of our sins. The blood that represents the new covenant of grace, where we find forgiveness, where we find mercy, where we find reconciliation, where we find adoption, and many other blessings and promises, including eternal life. We take this meal to remember what Christ Jesus has done for us and the incredible price that it took for our debts to be paid. So we do this in gratitude and thankfulness, and we do this also remembering that one day we will take this together with Jesus in his heavenly kingdom. And so we do this each time as a proclamation for Christ Jesus to come and to come soon. And so as we take this, let this prayerfully, I I hope that it will stir an appetite for Christ to come. So whether you are here as a member or as a guest or a tender or visitor, if you have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, and if your life is characterized by this walk of wisdom, walking in good works, walking in love, walking in light, though not perfectly, but if your life consists of these things and you have received baptism, then you are welcome to receive and take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ. But if you have yet to, re- to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and your life is not characterized by this walk of wisdom, then we ask that you not take this meal with us. For the scriptures make clear that this meal is a meal that belongs to the household of God. And anyone who drinks this meal in an unworthy manner, that is apart from faith, drinks a particular judgment upon themselves. But if you find yourself there this morning, we would just simply ask you to consider what you've heard this morning. Consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. Consider the talent of your time and how you are using the time that God has given to you, however long that time might be. Today can be the day that you make the wisest decision that will have repercussions for the rest of your life and unto eternity, and that is the decision to place your faith and trust upon Jesus Christ. If you confess your sins to the Lord and cry out to Him as Savior, then Jesus will become your Lord, and He will save you, you will pay the penalty of your sins, the debt that you owe unto God, and you will receive forgiveness and mercy and eternal life. So consider these things as we take this meal together, or as the church takes this meal together. So what I'll do is read a passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 11, then we'll take the bread, and I'll read another passage of Scripture, then we'll take the cup, and then we will pray and sing one last song. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I have received from the Lord what I delivered also to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Let us take this together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread 
and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let us take this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for making those who were once dead now alive. We thank you for taking those who were once under the domain of darkness and transferred them now into the kingdom of the beloved Son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the great work that you have done in our lives. Lord, and we desire to use the talent of our life and even the talent of our time wisely, profitably, in a way that honors you. Lord, we want to be able to come into heaven one day and to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Lord, give us the grace Give us the desire, give us the strength, give us the wisdom to walk in wisdom. Lord, it is, it is sometimes challenging to walk in wisdom. It's certainly easier to walk in the way of foolishness. But that doesn't lead to any good. So help us, Lord. Give us the resolve to walk in your ways. Help us to be faithful in the places that you have called us to be faithful. And even if we don't see immediate fruit, help us to persevere. Help us to continue and to endure. Encourage us until the day that you call us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's, let's stand and sing one more song as a response of today's message. Amen. And this is one that we, uh, a lot of us already know.
As your word says, I pray, Father, that we may be imitators of you, God, walking in the light, in love, in truth. God, I pray that you may create in us a heart for good works, as we heard today, Lord. Keep us, Lord, from evil and unfruitful works. But instead, Lord, shine your mercy on us and lead us into holiness and righteousness. God, may you keep our faith lifted and grounded in Christ. And Father, I pray that you may help us, help us, Lord, to walk carefully, obediently, and consistently in this Christian life for the honor and the glory of your name, O oh Lord. Amen. Amen. God's word says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Praise God. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed.